0: reading comes from Genesis chapter 33, when Jacob meets Esau. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children, who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I meet? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, "'accept this gift from me, "'for to see your face is like seeing the face of God "'now that you have received me favourably. "'Please accept the present that was brought to you, "'for God has been gracious to me, "'and I have all I need.' "'And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. "'Then Esau said, "'Let us be on our way, I'll accompany you.' "'But Jacob said to him, "'My Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my lord go on ahead of his servant, while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me, and the pace of the children, until I come to my lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favour in the eyes of my lord. So that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within (laughs) sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, The plot of ground where he pitched his tent, there he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel.
1: Thank you, Mr. Evans. Good morning, everyone. Pastor David is not with us this morning. He's at Regal Waters, ministering down there. Pastor Brendan is home sick. Pastor Charlie is present, sick, and I'm getting over my sickness. Pastor Alvin alone is well. Hi, oh, David,, oh, Rosemary's not well. Um, so remember them. Yesterday we celebrated together. many of you came to uh, Nola Hodgson's uh, 100th birthday, 100. That's what some of these lovely flowers are from this morning. Isn't that remarkable? She was 100 last Wednesday on the 14th of uh, August, but Wednesday night on the 14th, I didn't find out till yesterday, as she had a fall. So she's been in hospital all week and she only got released yesterday to come to the party and then was taken back to hospital. She's still in hospital today. Probably come out the next day or so, she thinks. Hadn't changed a bit, 100 years, lovely lady. And uh, Morris Lee was here, for those of some of you will know Morris. Morris served in Bangladesh. Um, and I wasn't sure, I left just before he finished uh, giving his address to the gathering yesterday, but he thinks that Nola went to India before it became, a section of India, before it became East Pakistan, before it became Bangladesh, most certainly. And he even thinks she went, not with GIA, which is what we call it, and not with the Australian Baptist Missionary Service, ABMS, which is what many of you will know, But perhaps with the australian baptist foreign mission so it's going back to the 40s a long time ago when that dear lady went and yes it was just lovely to have morris greet her or that actually she initiated that she spoke bengali to him and he spoke it back at 100 and she left there in 1952 that's before i was born That'll give you an idea how old it was. <laughs> and speaking of how old I am, the church is how old? 62. Next weekend. And so we're celebrating that. We're not celebrating it this year by combining services. We're leaving the services in their time slots. And uh, we're just going to hold a very special morning tea, And we invite your contributions to that. Bring a plate of food. And as Charlie said, of easy to, you know. Who's bringing sweets? Who's bringing savoury? Okay, one, one, one sweet, two savory, we'll have plenty. <laughs> so I encourage you to bring a plate of something to share and just to relax together and celebrate together, that we are God's family together. Tonight's going to be a special service. We were going to have all pastors, I think, were on a panel where we're going to be answering questions that the evening congregation has placed, uh, put in about the Bible. Uh, where the Bible came from and how to interpret and all those sorts of things. We've been looking at that over the last five Sunday nights or so. And so tonight is the night we answer the questions. <coughs> and I'm not feeling real well, Charlie. <laughs> <coughs> and you're not well. So we're looking for some volunteers if you could answer the questions for us tonight. Okay. Let's pray. Thank you again, Heavenly Father, that we can gather together. That because of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters together. And that we choose to gather and to assemble together freely we thank you for that freedom and for this opportunity and we thank of you your word i think of you your holy spirit who helps us to understand it And we ask now lord that your holy spirit might enlighten us that he might open our eyes to see the truths from this part of your word and that having opened our eyes that we might see jesus and that we might be committed to following him more closely we ask this in his name and for his sake and everybody said we are looking at the life of Jacob and Jacob has been north from chapter 27 to about chapter 32 33 chapter we're in this morning he returns home this morning God had promised him listen to the coughing <laughs> you got most empathy <coughs> really <coughs> God has kept his word, said that when he was leaving, that he would bring him back to this place. And uh, poor Jacob, in the story of his life, um, upsets his brother in leaving, and in fact leaves under a death threat that Esau, the last word he has heard is that Esau is going to kill him. And so he flees at the instructions of his mother, the advice of his mother. He's gone for 20 years, and now he is returning home. When he fled from his brother, he went into the embrace of Laban. It's out of the, fire, out of the pan into the fire sort of experience, because Laban was a charlatan and a crook and a con artist. But nonetheless, even in the midst of all of those difficulties, God kept his word. God worked. God blessed him. God multiplied his family. God resourced him. And now God is directing him and bringing him home for further development, but also the advancement of God's kingdom. so now Jacob is coming he's facing some of his past he is returning to confront Esau I guess this morning's passage is a little bit about faith believing in God but also the reality of fear in us that while we believe in God we can also be fearful of and worried about circumstances and or people and Jacob is certainly this strange mixture just like us of a person who trusts God but who also relies on himself a a person who prays but who also plots schemes and plans manipulates it's almost these 10 words summarize the life of Jacob for me if it is to be it's up to me if it is to be it's up to me that seems to be his consistent attitude whenever he gets into a difficulty or a situation He relies on himself has wonderful experiences and encounters with God at various times and ways and last week you pastor Brendan would have told you about uh, wrestling with the man the angel and saw the face of God and yet coming out of that you would think his life is going to be transformed mountaintop experience but he has trouble taking that experience down into the valley of normal ordinary everyday life that's certainly what this chapter plunges us into. The great experiences with God don't necessarily mean, and most often do- doesn't mean, a change in our situations. Sometimes it does. God chooses to act that way, that He changes the situation around us. But more often than not, what God does is He leaves the situation where it is and He changes us on the inside. He gives us the resources or the strengths or the resilience, the patience, whatever to cope and to deal with the situation that we are in. Chuck Colson is the one who said, um, God doesn't promise to get us out of the fire. What he does promise is to get into the fire with us. And if you think of Daniel's three friends, it's pretty true. Another commentator said on reading these chapters, a crisis doesn't make a man. Crisis doesn't make a person. What it does is shows what that person what that man is made of crisis doesn't make us it reveals what we are made of so here is jacob he's now heading south at the instruction of god god said go to bethel and he's on his way and last week he sent messengers ahead and he's now the messengers have returned for him and he's crossed the jabbok he's about halfway down between the galilee sea of galilee and the dead sea he's about halfway heading south and the messengers have returned and the messengers have said to him, Esau is coming <clears throat> and 400 men are with him. Now Jacob is already worried and anxious about this meeting because the last word he heard was, he's going to kill me. And the 400 men coming only seems to exacerbate the situation a little bit, doesn't it? The time was coming for him to face his brother. God had just met him before this and has given him a new name. He's no longer to be called Jacob, he is to be called, What? Israel, one who prevails one who overcomes with God one who struggles with God but who overcomes it's a powerful name and in this chapter he will affirm that name he just doesn't live it out That's a bit like us too we have a new identity in Christ born again changed nature new nature and we are called sons sons and daughters of god children of god <coughs> we've been adopted we have an inheritance we have all of these spiritual privileges but we struggle sometimes to live that out in our life so esau is coming jacob assumes the worst <coughs> it's always a problem when we assume things assumes the worst <coughs> when faith and fear meet We are often driven to rely on ourselves. That's something to learn from. That when a difficulty is coming and we are fearful, that should drive us to rely on God. That's what we need to learn. A lady said to Dale Moody once, she said, I've got a wonderful verse for you. It's about um, fear. And she quoted Psalm 56, verse 3, which says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in the Lord. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's a great verse. He said, I've got a better verse for you. He's quoted Isaiah 12, verse 2, which says, God is my salvation. I will trust in Him and not be afraid. Now, that's what the dynamic of what should be happening here, that what God had done in Jacob's life should have been preparing him for to think through and to reason that God's got a plan and God has promised I'm going to have children and God's going to work his kingdom purposes out through my family line. Then, conclusion, my family line is not going to be destroyed. God has said, God has promised. He could have reasoned that through, but he doesn't. He relies on himself and doesn't trust in the Lord. Now, before I go on into this chapter and story, let me just emphasize that again, that our encounters with God, we can have a good time in church together. You can have a wonderful, quiet time. You can have a mountaintop experience at a conference or whatever the circumstances are, but you've got to come down the mountain. You've got to go from the church service. You've still got to get up tomorrow. You've still got to go to work tomorrow. The situation will still be there tomorrow. We have to learn to be able to take these divine encounters, our experience, our relationship with and our walk with the living God, with us, into our life situations. So here, sadly, is Jacob um, plotting and planning instead of relying. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. We ought not to do nothing. We should be sensible, but we should be relying on God in our planning. And here is Jacob doing exactly what he did a day or two before. He divides the family up. Before he did it into two camps, relying on his own ingenuity. This time he does it by separating the children, the wives and children in order of his favourites. So he put the slaves and their children up front. Then he put Leah and her children there behind them. And then at the back, he had Rachel and Joseph. And he was out the front of it. That's a very unsubtle demonstration of favouritism, isn't it? and sadly it's also Jacob demonstrating the same strategy as he had before he wrestled with god it's very sad will god change the situation around him or will god change something inside of him this is uh, for me to emphasize this point it's Jacob and it's Israel Jacob is the um, old sinful nature in us if you like it's Jacob relying on on himself the old way, the schemer, the deceiver. Israel is the one who's looking to God and trusting God in very difficult circumstances. Jacob and Israel both reside in us. The Israel in him would have been thinking something like, let's go meet Uncle Esau and see what God does. The Jacob inside him will be no let's give gifts let's bow submissively let's call him really submissive respectful names and let's hope that we can manipulate him into not hurting us so verse 3 when esau gets closer jacob goes towards him because jacob's out front of the kids and he bows to him And it says he bows seven times it's a bit of an overkill why does he bow seven times? Well, it's a cultural thing that's going on. In the Amana letters, we are informed that before, when you are approaching a king, a superior, you are to bow seven times. And it's not bow, or it's not bow, it's lie down, pr- prostrate, bang, flat, seven times, and then get up. It's a demonstration of submission to a superior that's not what God said God said that the elder would serve the younger God says that Jacob was the chosen one God changed his name from Jacob to Israel the overcomer and here is Jacob not acting out what God had declared of him or about him then Jacob sees Esau running towards him and Esau runs embraces him kisses him and they weep together there's been a change the change in Esau is because something God did not something that Jacob was able to manipulate or do undoubtedly the the weeping were sincere it's emotional it's a, a reunion I guess for Esau Jacob it's probably more of a sense of relief at least partly Because he's still playing the old games then as he had organized it then the women come they take their cue from Jacob and they likewise bow respectfully to Esau and move on bow respectfully and move on it's a show it's implying that Jacob had said to his wife and to his kids wonderful things about this man Esau that he's my elder brother and he's to be respected and so from Esau's perspective that's what he's seeing but like I said that's all a show that's not what Jacob thinks at all he doesn't want to hang around his brother he wants to be away from his brother and did you notice that Jacob in this chapter in chapter 32 and in this chapter he calls Esau Lord and refers to himself as his servant Esau's servant it's Jacob manipulating Jacob acting out of the old ways and then they're giving gifts. And you, we don't pick it up in the English translation too well. And uh, Esau says, you know, all of the gifts you've given me, I have plenty. I don't need them. That's honourable. And it's, there's a bit of culture thing going on here as well of giving gifts and being reconciled and uh, saying, no, I don't need it. And then tell you, yes, you must have it. And they're toing and froing. And then they're finally accepting it. There's a bit of that going on. But in verse 11, Jacob literally says please accept the blessing that was brought to you he uses the same word the blessing that's what he had stolen from Esau at the very best it's Jacob not making excuses but it's Jacob saying i'm trying to make restitution that's the best way you could understand it and then Esau who is really glad to have his brother back says you know let's travel on together Jacob in his heart doesn't want that, he doesn't want to hang around his brother. Let's walk together, he says, and Jacob says, oh no, 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 you go on ahead, I'll follow. Well then let me leave some men to accompany you, which says something about the bandits and life in Canaan at that time. <clears throat> let me leave some men for your protection. And uh, Jacob says, no, 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 they'll get frustrated with the slow pace that we're going. You, you go to Mount Seir and I'll follow, I'll see you in Mount Seir in, you know, a little time couple of days maybe a week and the reality is he never goes over all of the years never goes to Mount Seir it's again Jacob misleading misdirecting for his own self as soon as Esau is out of sight with his men he's heading south he's going home Jacob hangs a right crosses the Jordan goes to two other places a place called Sukkoth builds a house and having built the house he also built sheds and shelters for his livestock he intended staying there God had said to him go to Bethel Bethel's 20 miles away maybe a bit further and it's south and it's halfway to where Isaac is Hebron and he settles in Sukkoth. don't know for how long years and then he moves from there he still doesn't go to Bethel which is where God told him to go but he goes outside the city of Shechem <clears throat> and there outside the city of Shechem he purchases land again settling down comfortable pitches his tent and that's where because of his delayed obedience dangerous things are going to happen Terrible things are going to happen. God is a God who is remarkable, who loves Jacob. Not for who Jacob is, but because God loves him. So too for us. God loves us because he loves us. We can't do anything to make him love us more. and We can't do anything to make him love us less, as the song says. He chooses to love us. And we need to choose to walk in obedience to him. There's no earthly equivalent to this. It's remarkable. We can certainly please and displease God. We can grieve and quench his spirit. But that doesn't decline or remove his love for us, from us. He wants us to enjoy that relationship. And that's certainly something being worked out in Jacob's life as God persists with him. And there in Shechem, disobedient, doing his own thing, not doing what God exactly wanted him to do, he nonetheless sets up an altar and gives it the name where he uses his new name, Israel. God is the God of Israel. He's accepting, acknowledging, affirming that God is his God, the true and living God. And he uses his new name. And in doing so, he is affirming that God is the one who is changing him. It's almost like that end of the chapter story is God and me are still good. I'm not where I should be, but God is with me and we're heading there. It's that sort of a feel about the end of the story. Warren Weasby, in his commentary, he outlines how Jacob, through his sinfulness, his fallenness, was scheming not trusting he was bowing when he should have been limping towards Esau and then Esau would have said why are you limping and then he would have had the opportunity to be able to explain well because I wrestled with God and this is what God did and this is what God said but he wasn't doing that he was too busy bowing he was pleading accept my gifts rather than declaring God's grace and God's word in his life and in fact if you look at the two characters you'll see that Esau is demonstrating more grace than Jacob he's the prince of God who is acting like a pauper sometimes the people of the world put us to shame don't they Jacob speak continues he's misleading he's not up front with Esau I'll see you in Mount Seir he says but he has no intentions of doing so and he's delaying not obeying he's not in a hurry to obey God and there is no substitute not even worship sacrifice is no substitute for obedience and because he delays the next chapter is going to reveal some terrible things that happened because he was where he shouldn't have been he was supposed to be in Bethel but he is in Shechem And the story goes on to outline for us the dangers that can happen to us and to our loved ones when we are not walking in obedience with God there are consequences to the choices that we make so let me turn read to you parts of chapter 34 which is a horrible chapter but it's in the scriptures and it's there because it has stuff to teach us both about Jacob and God and ourselves Dinah who is Leah's daughter to Jacob I don't think she is his only daughter but I haven't been able to confirm that now Dinah the daughter of Leah was born to Jacob she went to visit the women of the land when Shechem who is the son of Hamor the Hivite he's the ruler of the area when Shechem saw her he took her and raped her his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Chechem said to his father, Emil, Um, excuse me, get me this girl as my wife. It's quite weird. I'm not sure that raped is the best translation, but certainly what he did, he lay with her forcefully. But either that experience or something happens because in his heart, he is attracted to her. He wants to marry her a very weird sick way of demonstrating love because he not only forces her sexually he kidnaps her he keeps her he locks her up which we'll come to then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob dad to dad meanwhile Jacob's sons um, had come in from the field As soon as they heard what had happened they were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter a thing that should not have been done but Hamor said to them my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter please give her to him as a wife intermarry with us give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves you can settle among us the land is open to you live in trade in and acquire property you know prosper right here and then Shechem the son said to dinah's father jacob and her his son's brothers to dinah let me find favor in your eyes and i'll give you whatever you ask make the price for the bride and the gift that i'm to bring as great as you like and i'll pay whatever you ask only give me the young woman as my wife he's desperate isn't he depending on how you understand it and how you read it there is no pangs of guilt there's no expressions of remorse and there is no acknowledgement of offense that he's given to this family Dinah is potentially the only daughter, but she is certainly their kid sister. She's a young teenager. She's 12 to 15. She's in that range. Shechem, the guy who raped her, he's about 15, 16. He's around that age. They're both young people. But there are no pangs of guilt. And the way he is speaking, it could be understood to be I like her I've already slept with her and I want to keep her in fact I've got a home locked up can I buy her what's your price that's what it sounds like just matter of fact it's a business deal the passage doesn't say it but the passage does indicate that Jacob is silent my guess is he left the room he's not part of this deal for what's about to go down now verse 13 Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, unclean. Which is what even today, many victims of sexual abuse will describe themselves, that they feel dirty. Well, that's what the word means, defiled. Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to the son and the father, Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them we can't do such a thing we can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised that'd be a disgrace to us we'll enter into an agreement with you on one condition only that you become like us by circumcising all your males then we then we will give our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves we'll settle among you and become one people with you liars but if you will not agree to be circumcised we'll take our sister and go Leah has four brothers blood brothers mum is Leah sorry is the mum Dinah has four blood brothers through the same mum from Reuben to Simeon to Levi to Judah those four are named <coughs> and then i think there are two other sons coming later so these are her Reuben is about in his early 20s Judah's late teens if you work out the massive stuff and the others might be even younger than that <coughs> when they hear what has happened to their kid sister, they are shocked and they are furious and they are outraged. Before they enter the room, they have thought about, they have premeditated what they're going to do. Because she is still locked up in his house. They have to get her back. So they they come up with a scheme we're going to say, we'll be happy to do whatever they want, provided they get circumcised. They won't say yes to that. So we'll get her back and we'll leave. One option. Or second option. They'd already pre-thought, pre-meditated and worked it out. We're going to ask them to be circumcised or it's no deal. When they're circumcised and in pain and can't move, then we're going to come in and we're going to kill them. They had pre-thought. I'm going to kill them. And that's sure enough, that's how it unfolds. And so they say that plan. <clears throat> but if you won't be circumcised, verse 17, then we'll take her, our sister, and go. Verse 18, their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. In fact, verse 19, the young man, that's Shechem, the young man. The Hebrew word means that he's about mid-teens, something like that. The young man who, who was the most honoured of all his father's family. This is the best one in Shechem. And what a terrible man he is, youth. It's an indication from a Jewish perspective of how wicked the people in the land are. He lost no time in doing what they said. He got circumcised because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. All through the passage, he loves her, he speaks tenderly to her, he cares for her. He's just got this disgusting way of demonstrating his love. So Hema and his son, verse 20, went to the gate of the city to speak to the men of the city. And they said... got some good news got some bad news good news is these very wealthy people can reside with us they're very friendly towards us let's let them live in our land verse 21 and trade in it the land has plenty of room for them we can marry their daughters and they can marry us bad news verse 22 but the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are rationale persuasive argument Won't their livestock, their property, and all the other animals become ours? So let us agree on their terms, and then they can settle among us. Verse 24, unanimous decision. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamer and his son Shechem, and every male of the city was circumcised. Three days later, which is where the peak of the pain following circumcision, where pain peaks. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simon, Simeon, and Levi, two, walk into the city of Shechem with a sword strapped to their side. They come armed, Dinah's brothers. They took their swords and they attacked the unsuspecting city, city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and they took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Sons of Jacob, the rest of them, the sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and they looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all of the wealth, all of the women and children, taking as plunder everything in the house. It's a terrible overreaction. It? It's evil. It's wrong. Who do they think they are? You can't take the laws of God and the judgment of God into your own hands. It's one woman is raped and captured. Terrible that does not justify destroying all of the men of the city and then enslaving all of the women and all of the children and then plundering it there's no way you can justify it why is it in the bible why is this story here Uh, because god works with broken people god works with people who are disobedient who do the wrong thing who take matters into their own hand who are Deceptive and misleading and broken, sinful people. God takes them because he loves them, even in all of their sinfulness and brokenness, and sets out to clean them and change them. But it's a journey. When they come home, Jacob is very angry, verse 30. He's fearful again. And he never forgets it because in chapter 49 when he's giving his last blessing in Egypt he references this chapter this event there's no demonstration of concern for Dinah his daughter whether that's because it's Leah's daughter don't know but he is concerned for his own safety listen to his words you have troubled me to make me stink before the locals they will gather together against me and slay me and I will be destroyed and my house. Here is God's chosen and focused right here. It's a sad, terrible story. And their reply to him is, remember your daughter, the one who was raped and kidnapped, became a sex slave, if you like, and you were negotiating and thinking about selling her to Shechem where was israel the man that god had met with the strong prince of god the overcomer jacob is silent jacob is back in the land like god said he would be god has kept his word to protect him and bless him and to multiply him god's done all of that but the god of jacob is a god who is at work there are hardships as well as joys that will lie ahead in jacob's life but the god of jacob is a God who deals with failures and deceivers and the disobedient. A good title for the God of Jacob would be Friend of Sinners, like the Lord Jesus. What have we learned from this chapter? Let me finish by saying these few things. Our faith in God is a journey. It has its ups and it certainly has its downs. It'll have its wins and its losses. But in the midst of good things and difficult things, God is with us. He's in the midst of the fire with us. He may change the situation around you. He may change others. But more often than not, He'll change you to strengthen your empower you. That's how He will normally work. As I said a couple of weeks ago, God is far more concerned about what's going on inside of you than He is on what's going around, on around you. He's committed to changing you, to becoming His child like his son the Lord Jesus secondly associated with that we do carry around inside us our old sinful nature the Jacob and the Israel God has saved us through the Lord Jesus he's given us a new identity we need to live it out that's what the teaching of the New Testament is not to rely on our own old identity our old ways our old scheming our own resources and abilities To put that off and to put on our new nature in Christ. Trusting, being up front. Walking in the light, speaking the truth in love and being God's person in whatever situation you find yourself. That's the challenge. Jacob failed. Jacob doesn't do it. It's a lesson about what not to do rather than what to do. And as I said, so let me emphasize again. God loves us because he loves us. He doesn't love us because we're religious. He doesn't love us because we're good. He doesn't love us because we're kind. He loves us because he loves us. He chooses to love us. What can we do to make him love us more? Nothing. He can't love you anymore. Can I do anything to make him stop loving me? He will continue to love you. It is without equivalence in this world. Nobody loves us like he loves us. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to enjoy that. So we need to get over ourselves a little bit. We, of all people, can afford to be honest because we are broken and we're on the same boat. The God of Jacob keeps his word, achieves his purposes, grows his family because he's going to bring the saviour into the world. That's his purpose. Despite our failures and disobedience, he is appropriately and wonderfully called friend, friend of sinners, our friend. Let's pray. Father, today's story is disturbing and humbling. It reveals to us that your people, your chosen servant, was a man who failed, who relied on himself, and who put others in danger. We, Lord, would not dare to claim to be any better, but we are so grateful that you are the sovereign God and that you are working your purposes out in each of our lives. Help us to learn from Jacob's life and his failures that when the pressure is on us it might drive us to rely on you to trust in you and not to scheme and plot and rely on ourselves Lord just like you're the one who acted and changed Esau so that you're the one who is acting and changing us and changing people continue that work And use us in whichever way you see fit. In whichever way pleases and honours you and achieves your purposes. Lord, here we are. Take us and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.